You're listening to Emmy Award-winning host Jordan J. Adams. Dr. Joel Furman is a board-certified family physician, seven-time New York Times best-selling author, an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. For over 30 years, Dr. Furman has shown that it's possible to achieve sustainable weight loss and reverse heart disease. You heard me correctly. Reverse heart disease, reverse diabetes, and many other illnesses. He's done it over and over and over again using smart nutrition. You've seen him on TED Talks. You've seen him on CNN, Huffington Post, Today Show, The Good Morning America Show, Dr. Oz, and you'll definitely recognize him. He has one of the top shows on PBS. He's earned tens of millions of dollars for PBS. He saved tens of thousands of lives. Dr. Joel Furman, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, appreciate that. Oh, great to be here. It's exciting. Yeah, it's real exciting to have you. Um, this is probably a new audience for you. You know, we, we're 18 to 39-year-old guys primarily, cage fighters, but we are all interested in biohacking. We're all interested in longevity, and we're all interested in um, athletic performance. And I know you were an elite athlete as well, um, on figure skating, I believe. So you'd, yeah. be, you'd be able to, you know, definitely help some of my viewers on the athletic side. Right. I was third in the world in pairs figure skating in the 1970s. And I coached a lot of, you know, highly competitive athletes, professional tennis players, skiers, you know, um, basketball players, mostly to extend their active careers, to make them more, to keep their youthful vigor, vitality, athletic abilities into their later years. Awesome. And for example, you know, just to give an example, I use an example of Eric Schlappi was a world-class skier for the United States in four Olympic games. And certainly his good nutrition prolonged his career so he could be older and still perform at the top of his field. You know, so it's the major, I think, um, avenue that nutritional excellence has for athletes, not to necessarily um, make them better in their 20s, but as they get into their 30s and later, and later to keep them, their, their abilities but they, like they were in their 20s. You know, we want to be lean and have a strong, have a very strong power per body mass, you know, so our body fat is low and our power body mass is very high. But to keep that level of high muscle density and muscle strength and agility and speed, and of course, the, la the other factor that's so critical here is never getting sick. Because when you get a cold or a flu or you're ill, it cuts out down your training, you lose your little edge of your stamina, and it could be that little edge, that one millisecond of difference between winning a race or being the top 20 or the top three is just that you were sick one time when you missed five days of training that year. So the, the timing of your training, the peaking, so you get in your best shape in time for your event is, is a science in itself. And by, by knowing you're never going to get sick and not be able to, to not overtrain, be able to time that training, you have time to rest, recuperate, repair, train hard, rest, recuperate, repair, not throwing some illnesses in there and you're traveling is a critical aspect that nutrition enables us to achieve as well. You know, you're the perfect guy to talk about this because as you're mentioning, you know, the, you know, high density nutrients per caloric type of model, yeah. our fighters have to make weight and they, you know, the weight divisions start all the way down at 105 and they go all the way up to 265 plus in the cage when you're fighting your every little edge like you're talking about is so critical to the point where if let's say I'm a welterweight, I'm 170 pounds. And I see a guy, and I'm a natural 170, so I walk around at 185, and I, and I cut weight down to 170. So I am 
my dense muscle. Right. I see a guy come in who walks around at 155, but he's jacked up to 170. He's puffy, puffy muscles. He looks fantastic. He's puffy. Mm -hmm. I know I got him because mm -hmm. I know his uh, density and that, that 170 is different than my 170. You know, he's, he's puffy. He looks fantastic, but right. he's, not, he's not lean. You know, yeah. his lean fat ratio is, is not good. Absolutely. If you're talking about, and we measure this with how high a person can jump too. We got, we get their muscle density for their muscle per body weight. Their power per body weight is so high. And when you're doing mogul skiing down, you know, bang, 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 bang. You got to have not one extra bit of weight on you other than solid muscle. You got everything that's got to be steel, you know? So we're going to get that lean. And then of course, that's the secret to longevity is maintaining the ripped muscles, you know, the maintaining your ripped muscles when you get older. I'm obviously, I'm almost 67, but I'm still can be, do, I do moguls and surf and play singles tennis and, and mountain climb and do all the things I love to do is, you know, I love to do this, do sports and, you know, and keeping fit is what enables you to have that play span. After you get out of your competitive career, your athletic career, you want to enjoy playing and enjoying your life and having your full mental faculties and physical ability. But that's the secret to longevity is we're talking here about keeping a lean body and eating more plant proteins and not eating, getting all your protein from animal protein. Because we know the secret to a long life is less animal protein and more plant protein. And the secret to a lean body is getting rid of the processed foods and the carbohydrates and the oil and eating more high protein, high micronutrient containing plant proteins. So it's the same thing for a long life as it is for a lean body as it is for the type of muscles that are going to be sustained in your later years. Because what you're getting those muscles from, you know, a lot of, let's say, um, rich foods like animal products and people, you lose those, you lose those, pro those muscles as you age. We're talking about building muscle in a way that when you're, if you're, let's say, in a car accident, you, can, you have to lay down for a week, you're not going to quickly lose the muscles. They don't quickly shrink. We're building muscle over time and aging you slowly. So the muscles are there, even when you're not exercising, you maintain those. And it's easy to get back in your optimal shape again. And then, of course, not ever being sick. So that doesn't exacerbate the muscle loss. You coined your own term called nutritarian, which is the protective but low caloric part of foods. Talking exactly about, you know, like, you've got to give me something. Like, I, I kind of look at your philosophy as when I'm looking at the food, it's like, hey, man, if I'm going to put you in my body, you owe me. You've got to do something for me. If you're not going to do anything for me calorically, why would I put you in? Is that accurate to say? Oh, God, you voiced that so well. It's like, yeah, why not put the best quality food in your body? Every mouthful matters. You're going to live on pizza and donuts and bread and, and, and oils. You're taking in empty calories. There's no compensatory micronutrient load. Whereas look at when you're, you know, we're looking for foods that give us the most power, um, nutritional bang per caloric buck. And that's the secret here because the Americans and much of the modern world is ubiquitously deficient in the phytochemicals and antioxidants that fight cancer. And the same phytochemicals and antioxidants that fight cancer, having the full portfolio, the full spectrum of these anti-cancer immune supporting nutrients is what defends us against infection like COVID. You know, it, the people are dying. People are dying. It's all a nutritional issue because their immune systems aren't strong enough. And their immune systems don't react normally. And even this thing about cytokine storm, people saying, well, a young person who's healthy can still get cytokine storm. That's nonsense. These young people aren't eating right. They're eating fast food and junk food. If they don't necessarily have to be obese, but the more fat you have on the body, fat cells are pro-inflammatory and spew out reactive oxygen species. 
activate aromatase, which is an enzyme that produces more estrogens and increases risk of breast and prostate cancer. And so there's all, we can go on and on about the dangers of fat cells and how fats suppress immunity. But the point I'm making right now, of course, is even if you're not fat, if you're not eating enough phytochemicals and antioxidants, you can't control, you can't control the anti-inflammatory cytokines. And you have pro-inflammatory cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines. And the immune system has checks and balances that directs and controls the inflammatory response and doesn't allow it to destroy the whole body and be overly active. And this is the key. We're talking about the missing nutrients in the American diet that puts everybody at risk of cancer. And at the same time, those missing nutrients increase the risk of, um, increase risk of infection and danger from infection. And we don't have to have the fear. We can live our life without that fear, knowing we're protected. And I'm saying that the human body is so miraculously self-protecting that these viruses don't stand a chance. And cancer is most, is more than 90% of cancers are never have to happen to humans. They're completely unnatural. And other species of animals don't get them. And if we lived in a natural diet, and of course, I'm saying that the human body is a green vegetable dependent animal, just like the other primates. And the primary deficiency that leads to all these issues are green vegetable deficiencies. And that we have to eat a big salad every day with raw vegetables in it. In addition to beans and greens, in addition to that food that we cook up, but the big set that a primate like the gorillas and the chimps and the baboons and the, we're, we're all, our immune system is designed for a high green vegetable intake. And if you don't want to have a green vegetable intake, then you better live close to a hospital because you can develop problems. <laughs> or you can't expect not to get sick when you're exposed to novel viruses and you can't expect not to get cancer if you're not going to eat a lot of green vegetables. We are a green vegetable dependent animal and it's absolutely essential to have a lot of greens in our diet if you want to have excellent health. And greens, by the way, are rich in protein. We're talking also about things like artichokes, asparagus, broccoli, kale, or all protein-rich foods, even they're extremely low in calories, the, the raw green vegetables, and they have a high, of course, micronutrient per calorie density. They're very low in calories, and we have to chew them very well and eat a lot of them. But my acronym for the six categories of the most immune-supporting foods are G-bombs. Yep. That stands for you know, G-B-O-M-B-S, G-bombs, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. Greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. It's the dietary portfolio that includes all these foods that gives us maximum immune protection against viruses like COVID, against you know, bacterial infections, and longer life against cancer. At the same time, preventing atherosclerosis, hardening the arteries, dementia of the brain, slowing the aging process, and let me just say that the only proven methodology to have to slow aging in all species of animals is moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. That means eating foods that have a high micronutrient per calorie density and excluding foods from the dietary landscape, getting those foods out that just give you needless calories with no compensatory benefit. And you, got, you need a wide variety of foods to get the full complement of nutrients to extend human lifespan and maximize immune function at the same time. You need a wide variety, high nutrient foods, and removing every bite of pasta, pizza, bagels, donuts, french fries, pot dogs. Every time you eat those foods, you're shortening your lifespan, you're increasing risk of cancer, increasing risk of infection, and reducing your opportunity to have maximum performance in your field of choice.
You can't be as agile as quick and you can't think as quick. And when you eat sweets and white flour and bagels and pizza are sweets, there's no biological difference reading a piece of pizza and eating, and eating marshmallows with cheese melted on top. You might as well just live on marshmallows if you're gonna eat bread and pizza and white flour products like pasta. Because those things are, are, have no significant micronutrient load and they turn into sugar into your bloodstream. And the rush of sugar into your bloodstream destroys brain cells and makes you think slower and lose neuroplasticity. And the neuroplasticity when you're young is what enables you to develop perfect style, agility, and perfect technique that comes instantaneously. When you take a, a good example, let's say, is Roger Federer on the tennis tour, let's say. You probably know who he is, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, if you look at his style, his racket height stays right at his eye level perfectly. He doesn't move at a fraction. It's at exactly at 180 degrees. His wrist is cocked to 15 degrees. He comes through, his elbow straightens. It doesn't start to bend till it gets to his nose and then it bends across the back of his body. You know, if you, his belly button turns right at the aiming spot. His, he looks at that ball contact point. If you, look at his, if you look at his style in slow motion, you will see that he had such incredible coaching when he was young that they persevered and repeated over and over again to develop certain technique. You know what I'm saying? So that not worrying about winning a match, but developing perfect technique. So then when, he becomes, then when you're under pressure and moving fast, your body already goes back to that perfect technique and that style. It's going to work best for you. And I'm making this point that when your brain is healthy, you, when you're learning these techniques, you can develop muscle memory in your, that your brain takes over and it moves back to the right memory again. And you lose that ability and you lose, you get sloppy. And you don't hold, you don't, your elbow's not in the right position. Your body doesn't turn the right way. You don't, you don't move in the right position. When you don't have good health, your brain gets sluggish too. So we're talking about, and we know when your brain gets most sluggish, as you start to lose stamina and you start to get tired and your brain isn't thinking as quickly and you, and you lose your style and coordination, all these things happen due to poor nutrition because you're not getting good oxygenation of tissue. And you know what else athletes do wrong? They put so much salt in their diet and they're thinking that they're sweating, they're training, they have to eat, they eat salt because they're gonna lose the salt in their sweat. And it kills them because when you get acclimated to a low salt diet, you stop losing salt in your sweat and you stop losing salt in your urine. Your body becomes good at holding on to it. So I'm playing a heavy tennis match and I'm sweating for two hours, I'm dripping wet for an hour and a half, two hours straight and I'm drinking water. But I don't get cramping in my legs. I'm not going to get weaker. I'm not going to lose electrolytes because my body is losing water, not salt with other electrolytes with it. When you lose sodium, you lose magnesium and chlorine and a whole bunch of other nutrients and minerals go with it. The more you sweat, the more salt you drink, salted products to drink, the more you're draining your body of other minerals other than salt when you sweat and exercise. And then people start to get um, fatigued due to hyponatremia and low, and low um, magnesium because they're sweating out so much garbage, so much electrolytes and minerals in their sweat when they're training or when they're in an event. When you eat a diet rich in minerals, but not so high in salt, because you're getting your minerals from food and not salt added, then your body holds onto the minerals and the sweat's not gonna wipe them out. And you're not gonna be fatigued at the end of your run, at the end of your tennis match, at the end of your fight. So it's, this is all important stuff because it, it's why people get into trouble when they're athletic endeavors. Because the, the difference between a, somebody at the top of their game and somebody who's really great but not the best in the world are these little differences. Little differences of fatigue at the end, or the little differences of stamina, loose loss of stamina, or the fact that they got sick two months ago and lost five days of training. All these little things make a big difference when you're talking about top, being topping the world in your field. 
Yeah, you're exactly right about that world class where every fraction of a second counts. And I think it's important um, to let everybody know that everything you're talking about has been peer reviewed. It's been double blind studied. You do everything medically. You're an MD and the world class MDs come to you. They ask you, were you, did you ever have pushback when you first started? Because, you know, I'm thinking what you're talking about, this is something that 99% of the population can take into their own hands and fix themselves. Nice. Uh, that's taken away a big market share from, you know, the groups that want to crack open your chest when you get clogged arteries, um, you know, and do a hundred thousand dollar operation. That's, you know, in the business world to sound callous, that's market share. And you, you know, you're hurting market share, frankly, but you're saving lives. Have you ever had any pushback or because you're so buttoned down on your peer reviewed studies and double blind studies and you're doing, you're showing the results that can't be argued with, do they leave you alone? I think that's true to a degree. You know, I have seven New York Times bestselling books, which I'm so proud of that. And my latest book for people who want to get more information about this type of science and see all the thousands of references in the book. I make it so it's easy for people to understand, but I also want people to be able to look at the science of references, get the original research and corroborate what I'm saying is true. And of course, my most recent book is called Eat for Life. But in any case, yes, I can remember back in medical school, when, when I would talk about this, and, and even back in those days, what it was 40, 45, 50 years ago, whatever it is, I was, remember that people would say, yeah, yeah, that's true, and that sounds good, but nobody's going to do it, people aren't going to listen to you, people just want a pill, you're not going to make a lot of money that way, and there's always these negative um, vibes and negative statements, but not that what, what wasn't, wasn't true, but in the last two decades, the amount of scientific evidence be, become unsurmountable. It's unsurmountable, you know, the, the, in other words, the preponderance of evidence is overwhelming today that we don't have to get cancer, heart disease, strokes, dementia, that we have to control our health destiny and live, and live a lifespan of, you know, 95 to 105 years old without having these horrible things happen to you that happens to almost all Americans. Everybody living on the American diet is going to wind up with either heart disease, strokes, dementia, or cancer because that's what that diet causes when you eat the way other Americans eat. And, you, and, when, and we're seeing the most overweight, sickly, sluggish, you know, anxiety, you know, um, mental illness prone. And, and we see people, they call it, they burn out. They can't maintain their athletic power, powers. So they have to quit their sports. And they, even at a very young age, they're so easily injured. All these things, you know, contribute, the bad nutrition contributes to all the, all the uh, shortcomings that people find even doing athletics. Let's read through some of the books. And this is actually kind of a testimony to your energy level and the vitality that your nutritional protocol is giving you. Eat to live, disease-proof your child, end of dieting, super immunity, and fast food genocide. Now, if anyone's ever tried to write a book before, they'll know how almost impossible it is just to do one book. And look how many books you've written, and not just written them, but been on you know, the New York Times bestseller list for week after week after week. Um, do you attribute the energy that it would take to do this? And I'm sure while you're writing these books, you still have a regular practice that you're maintaining. You're traveling all over the world. You have speaking engagements while you're writing these books. What does an average day look like for you? Well, yeah, thank you for that. Well, it's true that when you write a book that's a book like this written for lay audiences and for people, they use my books in, in universities and master's programs on nutrition. My books are used by other physicians specializing in nutrition a lot. But, so I have to have all the scientific references in line for every sentence in the book. 
the time involved in writing the book is much more than just preparing and writing the book. It's the research involved and making sure every, every paragraph is well referenced with scientific research. There might be a thousand medical references. I might have had to review 20,000 medical references to pull out that thousand for the book. You follow me? So it's, it's much more time um, intense than you could imagine to when you're putting together this type of writing. Um, but in any case, nevertheless, um, you know, you want people to feel that what makes this, how should you say, gives it credence is that we don't just look at short-term studies over a period of a year or two. Because those short-term studies looking at soft endpoints have to be corroborated with long-term studies with larger numbers of people looking at hard endpoints. A soft endpoint is something like you lost weight, your cholesterol went down, your diabetes is better controlled, your headache went away. Those are soft endpoints. We can give people a drug that can take away headaches or a drug that can lower cholesterol. We don't know if the person's gonna live longer before that. We gotta corroborate that hypothesis with a hard end point. Let's get 10,000 people and follow them for two decades and see if they really are living longer, have a lower heart attack death rate or lower cancer death rate. That's a hard end point. And seeing if it corroborates what we're seeing short term. And that's what, of course, it takes a lot of time to make sure we have the corroboration between both the short term and long term studies to make sure that when we're saying something, there's a lot of credence because there's books of all description out there, all kinds of diet books and diet claims. It's so confusing for so many of us. Yeah, and they're just, they're just pick one study that's just looking at a sure soft endpoint. I can put you on a Twinkie diet and you make because you're losing weight because you're eating nothing but Twinkies and you're feeling better because your weight went down. But it doesn't mean that's good for you. You're still dead 20 years before your um, projected optimal lifespan. So in other words, we have to, it, it takes a lot of investigation about all the data written on every subject. We're looking at omega-3 fatty acids or anything. You have to review every single study. Every, you can't just pick out one or two that you like. You have to review the whole literature and, and take the time to make sure you're not missing anything and, and then put the whole picture together. So it's a lot of, it is very time consuming. Let's talk about kind of the big battle that's going on right now in the nutrition space. Obviously, it's an oversimplification to say there's two big groups who are kind of going head to head against each other. But essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially there's the group of vegetarians and vegans who are saying plant-based diet, plant-based protein, that's what's anti-carcinogenic, that's what's anti-inflammatory, that's what's going to clean out the arterial clogs, and that's how you get to 110, you know, kind of like the blue zone guys. And then you have the kind of the, the ketone people, the paleo people, the omega-3 people that eat lots of good fat people for your brain. And that's one of the complaints that the paleo and ketone people are saying is that the vegetarians and the vegans don't have any kind of brain protocol uh, for longevity and neuroprotective factors. How does, how does the nutritarian protocol come down on, and, and, and maybe you're a blend, I don't know, but I know that's kind of a large question, but that's what's on our minds. Anyone who's trying to get well, are get, we're getting confused because there's these two groups and they bring lots of science to the table and that's what makes it even worse. Yeah, well, they don't really bring much science to the table. What I'm saying is they bring the science that supports their viewpoint. They, they're not bringing all this, they're not fair at bringing all the science to the table. What I'm saying right now is that we're a primate, we can't change that. We have a high dependency on antioxidants from plant foods and any animal product heavy diet that might give you some short-term benefits are gonna result in long-term dangers. Uh, I can say this word carefully, but saying all, all the long-term epidemiologic studies that look at large populations, 100,000 people, 150,000 people, and follow them for decades show that more animal protein shortens lifespan and more animal products in the diet results in higher rates of all-cause all mortality, including cardiovascular death and cancer deaths. 
So we know that any diet rich in animal products, it doesn't you can say that, and I love the people that say, oh yeah, but that's just, some people are better for this diet and so our genetics make some people this diet better for other people. That's better for you, but not better for me. That's also a bunch of bull. It's absolutely untrue. There's no human being living on the planet that doesn't have a high requirement for antioxidants. The brain ages without a lot of anti, without the spectrum of antioxidants. We all need a lot of green vegetables and the G-bombs, the berries, all these things are very important. Beans are, you know, some people may very rare have a digestive problem with an allergy to certain foods or a digestive problem where they have to emit certain foods. But what I'm saying right now is whether you eat a little bit of animal products or your diet is eating none and you're using supplements to make up for the, the, the shortfall of zinc, of omega-3 DHA, of B12, of iodine, whatever you, it's still, you can't eat a diet high in animal products. Whether you're eating a little bit might be better for some people or none might be better for other people. But that doesn't mean, because a little bit of animal products might be helpful for some people, doesn't mean there are people that do better on a paleo diet where it's 70% of calories from animal products or a keto diet where eating mostly fat and animal products. There's no people who are not going to cut short their lifespan. And there's no people that do better smoking cigarettes. They're not smoking cigarettes. So what I'm saying right now is um, there's, well, the high amount of animal products in all the long-term studies result in dramatic shortening of the human lifespan. On the other hand, what you're saying about the criticism of the vegan diet is also true. I've, I've probably had the greatest experience taking care of the vegan population over the last four decades or five decades, um, having a large vegan population in my, under my care and seeing so many people who are my mentors and people who are doctors and leaders in this field who develop dementia and Parkinson's and neurological disorders as they age. And I've actually drawn the blood tests and seen what they're missing and they almost are ubiquitously deficient in omega-3 fatty acids. The omega-3 index is critically important. That's why when you're following a, um, a vegan or a near vegan diet or a diet when you're not eating a lot of fish and we're not using fish as much today as we, I, I would recommended some small amounts of fish in the diet for many years. But of course, with the, not just the mercury poisoning of the bigger fish, but the microplastic poisoning of the smaller fish with the thousands of millions of tons of dumping of plastics into the environment. That's of course um, making everybody get a lot of plastic in their body. So what I'm saying right now is getting some omega-3 fatty acid through a clean source to make sure the omega-3 index is above five. You know, it brings us to modern science, because we do have all the studies looking at that show that when your omega-3 index, your ratio of DHA to, to, eat, to omega-6 fats in your tissues are below 5%, you're at higher risk of dementia and brain shrinkage with aging. And we don't want people to switch to a otherwise healthy plant-based or plant-heavy diet and then suffer with shrinkage of the brain. It's, it's really the deficiency of omega-3 here that's the culprit. And when you use just supplement conservatively with B12 and zinc and omega, enough omega-3 to bring your omega-3 index above five, you're not at that particular risk. So we're saying here that we can maximize athletic performance, performance by utilizing the high-protein plant foods including hemp seeds and sunflower seeds and broccoli and black beans and lentils. And we can use, you know, edamame or, or soybean products we can, or soybeans itself, not soybean products, but soybeans themselves cooked in a chili. We can use high protein plant foods that can maximize our athletic performance, give us muscle strength that lasts longer and is highly responsive to training and stays there, keeps us leaner, and gives us a longer life. And then we can modulate the supplemental 
regimen to perfect our levels or to use animal protein in a small amount as condiments to, to increase, to control the, our amino acid and growth hormone and, and IGF-1 levels to the most favorable level. And we could use science to make sure we have the best of both worlds. That's so powerful. And that, you know, that's what I think we're all trying to do is get our brain around. That's why I love G-bombs because I just need acronyms. Give me something that I can anchor to. So when I'm shopping, I know what to get and what not to get. One of the things I noticed, you probably are already familiar with this. All the food I'm getting now is all on the edge of the store. It's all cold and has to be kept cold or it's in the produce. And I notice I'm hardly ever having to leave the produce department now because there's nothing in the center of the store I want. All the stuff that's in cans and boxes, uh, you know, with the exception of some beans, sometimes I'll get canned if I'm, you know, on the road, whatever. But uh, for essentially, I'm buying along the edges. Uh, I had a real uh, a question here that I think kind of uh, will be maybe in the middle space, but I'm super curious about this. One of my challenges has been brain fog. So, um, you know, I'm curious how you come down on the leaky gut, whether you, you know, what you can tell us about leaky gut and also the macrobiome, which I think actually uh, goes a long way. It's probably very congruent with what you're saying because I'm trying to feed my good guys now with my prebiotics and, and with, of course, you know, positive biotics. Um, where does, where does you know, the nutritarian diet come down in terms of leaky gut and the macrobiome? Yes, it's, it's, the, it's the microbiome, by the way. The oh, sorry, microbiome. A, yeah. Um, yes, there are actually four foods that have the biggest effect at not only um, maintaining the best favorable balance of bacteria, but having the bacteria adhere to the villi, causing a biofilm that slows the absorption of glucose, keeping your, diet, your glycemic load of your diet low. In oh. other words, if you take a moderate food like a mango and make it so it's the lower glycemic effect is you eat these four foods, which are the two cooked foods are of course cooked beans and cooked mushrooms. And the two raw foods are raw green cruciferous vegetables and raw onion or scallion. And we eat these foods in our diet, it makes the right bacteria take up permanent um, inhabitants of your um, small intestines and not just pass through you. I mean, take a probiotic like a pill, most of that's just passing right through you. It's not gonna live there because it's the, it has to only live there and stay there, but that's the fuel to feed it. And if you're not feeding it in the primary food of these healthy bacteria are fiber. And fiber also breaks down by bacteria to form butyrate and other short chain fatty acids that control the apostat and also have anti-inflammatory effects on the gut and anti-diabetic effects and, and otherwise, um, you know, and produce you know, nitric oxide, vasodilation, muscle, more muscle explosion. And let me say this one more time that when you're eating a lot of green vegetables in particular, including a big salad you chew super well and break down the myrosinase enzyme with really great chewing, especially with onions and scallions and greens together and use a, a nut and seed based dressing. I'm talking about a dressing made from nuts and seeds, not oil, because richer in protein and all the polyphenols and all the beneficial lignans that you need for mixed in with maybe an orange or tomato sauce or other, you're making a delicious salad dressing, a big, you know, green vegetable salad you chew very well. And then you also eat some cooked artichokes and broccoli and peas and other high protein plant foods. And you use the high protein seeds and you have the beans in there. Obviously, you get, you know, you get muscle tissue that's, um, that when you build it, it's more stable. You know, and we know, for example, the shortest lifespan of almost any profession in North America are, profession, are linebackers on football teams whose weight's over 250 pounds. In other words, the NOSH studies show that these people died very young because they push themselves to get as big as possible 
and as large as possible. And they had a lot of muscle fat impregnated into the muscle tissue, and they ate a diet that maximized largeness. When we eat more plant proteins, we don't maximize size. We maximize strength and muscle density per body weight. So my body, I'm not gonna get to be 180 pounds. I'm, I'm only gonna maintain, I'm gonna lift weights a lot and do a lot of jumping and box jumping and lift heavy weights, but I'm not, but I'm limited to how large I can get by my diet. But for my body weight, I'm gonna be as strong as I possibly could get. And this is what we do with professional athletes. We're not looking to try to promote size. If you're trying to promote excessive size that's larger than what's lifespan favorable for the human species, like to be a professional football player, and you're going to pay a price with some shortened lifespan or increased risk of disease. That's fascinating. And I think now you've delved into psychological issues because I know for so many of us, and myself included, you know, there's that, I want to look like uh, Sylvester Stallone. I want to look like, um, you know, mm -hmm. one of the sprinters. Uh, I want to look big and jacked. Uh, what do you see is the is the is the perfect size perfect lean body mass to fat ratio and along those lines where do you come down on the protein arguments because now i'm seeing studies that are saying when you hit a certain age the older you get you should actually increase your protein yes especially you know but but people lose protein the ability to digest protein because they've had so much animal protein all through life they haven't they're aging so rapidly they become seven they're like 90 years old at the age of 70 they can't even digest protein anymore it's it's crazy now keep, you know, I'm, the point I'm making is that um, if you start eating healthier when you're young, you keep your, your youthful vigor and you digest better. And yes, we may need some more protein as we pass the age of 80 or 90. And some people may start eating more protein when they pass the age of 70 because they've aged so rapidly. I can tell you right now is I can do as many chins and pull-ups as I could when I was 20 years old. And I'm, I think I'm almost just as fast on the tennis court and, and I'm still, you know, I'm you're not going to be I'm still have a, you know, a six pack and you know, I'm still, wow. I'm still 67. Wow. You know, that's impressive, bro. Ripped, you know, yeah, I'm look at that. Yeah. Your lean body mass, man. Yeah. Like that. You're, so my efficient. Body fat, you're efficient. My, my body fat percent at 67 is the same as it's been my, it's been about 10 or 11% pretty much my whole life. I haven't changed my 10 or 11% body fat from the time I was a competitive athlete. Maybe I was a little leaner then, or a little stronger then. maybe because I was doing like weightlifting all the time, but but I'm not, but I'm not much off from where I used to be. I'm still lifting, you know, you know, benching. I can still bench, you know, do a lot of push-ups, do 70 push-ups and stuff. You know what I mean? I'm still can pretty do similar type of things I did when I was younger. But maybe I was even more exercising more back then. You know what? I'm guessing your visceral fat is non-existent, given the fact that your subcutaneous fat is so low. Which fat goes first? Either way, you, your organs are not struggling with fat around them, just based on that six-pack. Good point that your visceral, you can measure that with machines today. You can see, you can have these electronic machines. You could go on, you know, electronic pads on your feet and legs and you get on them. It tells you your body fat and tells you your visceral fat too. Wow. And everybody's visceral fat. We have almost all people in America are overweight and have too much visceral fat. But, you know, it's because, um, you know, what I'm saying right now is I know people think that 70% of Americans are overweight. And I'm saying that's not correct. That's because the government uses a BMI of 25 as a demarcation line between normal weight and overweight people and all along of societies have BMIs below 23. By my standards of excellence, 88% of Americans are overweight, not 23%. They all, and even a lot of the people in the normal weight category have a lot of visceral fat and they're smokers and they're drinkers and they're sick people because their weight is down. It's only about 2.5% of the American population um, eats healthfully and is, has a BMI below 23. But nevertheless, what I'm saying right now is you're absolutely correct. 
the, the visceral fat has to be kept low as you age, and your subcutaneous fat has to be low because you're not going to have low visceral fat unless you have subcutaneous fats relatively low. But as you binge and go away on vacations and eat, you know, and, and, and get and blow, put your, and blow your weight up, you're going to put on more visceral fat because you can't put on subcutaneous fat only at a certain rate, and the extra fat's going to come on viscerally. And then you lose weight, you lose more subcutaneous and not visceral. So every time you yo-yo your weight up and down, you're going to have the tendency to put a little more visceral fat on. What I'm saying right now, it's better to keep, your, keep lean and stable throughout your whole life, and that's how you keep visceral fat off your body. And if you have yo-yoed your weight or you have been overweight, it may take a little longer, a few years, to get your visceral fat down, but do it and keep eating this way the rest of your life so you keep the visceral fat off your body for the rest of your life. It's no, there's no benefit to having visceral fat. We should all be very, very low levels. Where do you stand on fasting and intermittent fasting? I definitely think that it's an advantage for lifespan to be able to have an extended time at night when you're not eating food. That means to finish dinner early and get a lot of sleep and rest while you're not digesting food. That means allow digestion to finish before you go to sleep. So when you sleep your eight hours, or whatever hours you're sleeping, you're not digesting half the time you're sleeping. So eating late at night is not a good idea. We should try to eat a biggest meal of the day should be lunch. We should probably eat a lighter dinner, but ideally you should probably finish dinner by five or six o'clock and then not eat between six and 10 when you go to bed or six and 11 when you go to bed. So that could be called time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting. Fasting is useful to extend lifespan in all species of animals. But just fasting once or twice in your whole life is not going to do it. You have to fast enough and intersperse it enough to maintain the benefits of caloric restriction. And the simplest way for most people to do that on a regular basis is some days eat a lighter dinner than an early dinner so you go to bed a touch hungry. And then just have a glass of water and just go to bed. You know, so go be a touch hungry at night or eat an earlier dinner. So if you start to get hungry 10 o'clock at night, just go to sleep, don't eat. So yes, I think that we, we need to just moderately caloric restrict so we're lean and we're strong, but we, so we help keep ourselves at the lean side of normal. And a lot of top athletes have gone into their later years and gotten leaner as they stopped competing and got and dropped a little weight as they got after their competitive lives. And they, cause they realized that for lifespan extension, you want to, you know, maybe they don't quite have the muscle structure. A good example might be, um, you know, some basketball players that got a, like, like Alonzo Mourning from the Miami Heat who had kidney disease, who ate a, followed a nutritarian diet and got well from his kidney disease and became a little leaner after he quit basketball to get back his health again. And now he's in bad peace. He recovered and got back, got healthier because he wants to live a long life that he's not playing, playing professional basketball anymore. You follow me? Yeah, yeah. I definitely the problem is, is when these athletes who are muscular quit, ex quit their profession and then they go on to this heavy diet or the same diet or to a meat-based diet and they start to get bigger and more puffy in their later years. And that's the formula for sickness and death. You have it's to such maintain a pattern. Your it's such a pattern. You <laughs> see it in all athletes, not all athletes, in so many athletes who have gotten used to eating a certain way, taking in a certain amount of calories. And yes. they're not paying attention to that ratio you're talking about, you know, the, the price cost benefit ratio and right. they get huge and, and you could just, you know, they're going to be dead in their sixties. It's like, you can almost set your watch to someone's weight. When you see the obesity, you don't see a lot of 70 and 80 year old obese people, you know, 70 and 80 is midlife. I mean, we're, we're designed to be lived to, to live to be a hundred years old without mental deficiencies and without chest pain and without joints going, going bad on us. We're designed to be, to live a long, healthy life, and we should be able to play and enjoy our life and enjoy sports and enjoy all the world has to offer 
with our full mental and physical faculties intact if we take care of our body when we're younger. It's a beautiful story. And I know this is anecdotal. It's my personal testimony. When I started fasting, intermittent fasting, my knee pain went away, my sciatica went away, and my stomach, I always had a little bit of a roundature. Just always, I'm not, not, I'm not fat, but I had, a, you know, like it just, I couldn't get rid of the kind of just had that it was round. It's flattening out. So I don't know if the, if the fasting or the autophagy is taking care of the visceral fat, is, is, is that kind of chewing that up and kind of uh, metabolizing it? Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a combination of the correct foods you're eating, because don't forget that the foods are, have anti-angiogenic and fat, anti-fat storage effects to help you get rid of visceral fat. So you eat mushrooms and onions and things like that, the, and green vegetables, of course. They say, no way, Jose, I'm not letting you store fat, because the fat cells need to grow new blood vessels to keep themselves and to support the new highway of blood vessels to keep the fat on the body. And these foods say, no way, Jose, I'm not letting you do that. They shrink down those blood vessels. They help you lose fat. So yes, it's calories. It's moisture because obviously when your body is more toxic and there's more advanced glycation end products and free radicals and reactive oxygen species, when you have all the toxins in your body, your body holds on to fluid and gets more puffy. Your muscles and fat cells puff out. When you eat a diet that's really healthy with less salt and less toxicity and more antioxidants, you, you don't carry so much needless fluid the body holds on to to dilute the toxicity and reduce the acidity of your tissues. So you have less lactic acid buildup, and this is what makes us stronger too, is because we're not dehydrated, but we don't need to carry on excess fluid puffing us out, which just makes you look bigger, but it doesn't re result in any muscular, increased muscular efficiency because your body is so toxic. So all those things, not just the caloric restriction, the intermittent fasting, but eating the right foods also helps keep you lean and stronger. We I'm waiting for you to get me into a ring, into the cage with some <laughs> other 67-year-olds. Other <laughs> I have a feeling you would kick some ass. <laughs> I have a I'm feeling. pretty quick. <laughs> oh, man, you have to come out to our next fight. We would love to have you. We would love, be honored to have you. Actually, help our fighters make weight safely would be just, that would be amazing if you, if you could do that. Hey, we, we know how important insulin sensitivity is. Uh, you know, it's that the whole kit and caboodle when it comes to diabetes, if I'm not mistaken. What about right. anabolic sensitivity? Because I noticed for me, I work out real heavy. And despite the fact that I'm strong, I notice I don't, my muscles don't grow as quickly as they used to. Is that because I'm becoming anabolically insensitive? Yes, but that's, that's really, it's, that's good, not bad. I'm, I'm saying something a little counterintuitive here. I'm saying as we get older, we have to work harder and more regularly to make sure we maintain our muscle mass. You know, but the effort you put into that makes you, them stay longer. They're also, even though they take longer to build it if you're not in great shape, it also takes longer to lose it when you're older too. So when you're younger, you can build it faster, but you lose it faster. When you're older, it's a little more effort to build it, but you maintain it better. So when the fact is it's better to do a variety of different types of exercises, and not just be a runner, or not just be a swimmer, or not just be a weightlifter, but, not, but do a lot of different things. And then, you, then you, as you age, you're out of your, both your level of hormones and your, and your body states becomes more stable. Um, so absolutely. And, it's, and I think we can increase, we help keep our hormones and our testosterone estrogen ratios favored because we exercise regularly too. All right, I have some questions here. Um, and thanks so much. You have, you have a few more minutes. We could uh, get sure. to some viewer questions. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. So let me see. Let me pull up the, unfortunately my phone keeps going off so I can do 
couldn't keep it up. Uh, let's see. All right. So this one comes to us actually from uh, Dominic Genex in Tampa. And um, he wants to thank you because um, he, he was doing G-bombs for a lost time, long time. He lost 20 pounds. But he said eventually both he and his wife and his wife, and she already allowed me to say this, she has MS. They were both getting great results with the G-bombs on your protocol. But they both fell off the wagon. And here's, um, here's exactly the question. How do you address the cravings for meat and the cravings for carbs? Because that's what knocked them off their wagon. Dominic well, and Diane Genex. Thanks, thanks for the question. And it's the same way you address the cravings for alcohol and alcoholics. They need to stay away from alcohol a long enough period of time till the cravings go down. And that could take you know, months, three to six months. In other words, there's no... People develop addictions to certain foods, and the more calorically concentrated the food is, the more your addictions are, more addictions take over. So we have cravings and thought processes. We want that cigarette, we want that cocaine, we want that alcohol, because we've patterned a certain behavior, and our brain, the dopamine in the brain become dependent on those foods. And the brain can reset itself, and the dopamine sensitivity can reset itself, but it takes time. And the only thing that enables the brain to reset is to stay, is, is abstinence and to stay off those foods and help support each other to stay off the foods that you know are your triggers, your overeating triggers and stay away from those foods. I and mean, obviously that's why I have a retreat here in San Diego where people come here for three months or more because they want to get, because they have a lot of weight to lose and they know they're food addicts and they can't control themselves. And if they're staying away from those foods long enough and learning how the brain works, they're able to do that in the future. So it's having the passion for living, feeling good about not having to get, get the approval of other people not looking to please other people with what you're doing, be a leader, not a follower. Learn about, you know, about this so you can do this with, with, with scientific authority, but you need time for your taste buds to change. You need time to lose your, your to, prefer, to learn to prefer this way of eating over the other way. And you have to just give it long enough of staying away from those foods long enough so you lose your craving for them. Before we get to some of these other questions, uh, what's the website if people want to look into that retreat? What would where would they go on on the web for that? Well, they, at drfurman.com, they can see anything I'm doing on my you know books or videos or online um, courses or or the retreat. It's right at drfurman.com. They can find everything there. Prolific. All right, this one actually comes to me from my sister. My sister has chronic fatigue. She's in Rhode Island. Her name is Meredith. Um, she wanted to thank you from the bottom of her heart for G-bombs and for everything you've done because you helped her finally get the weight off. She said, I've read that flaxseed raises cortisol, so I've stopped eating that. Do chia seeds also raise cortisol? And I need to get my G-bombs in. Thank you. You know, flax seeds have such incredible power that even a study came out that showed that women who had breast cancer followed for 10 years with a little bit of lignin from flaxseed, it reduced their risk of death of breast cancer by 71% over that 10-year period. There's no drug that can do that. And there's so, so I, don't, I think that ideally people should be using some flax seeds, some chia seeds, and some hemp seeds. They're all high in omega-3. And the chia and flax have the most um, beneficial anti-cancer ligands. And the effect on cortisol is not anything negative. It's just keeping you at a normal level with enough, the, the, um, of a, with enough omega-3 fatty acids. So we're, so we're saying you definitely want to include them. You don't want to overeat. But I want people to use at least a teaspoon of ground flax every day with a total tablespoon, at least a tablespoon of seeds if you're a woman. And if you're using just a teaspoon of flax, then use some of the balance, use chia and hemp. 
but they all have beneficial effects and we should be eating all three of them, not just one. Does your protocol, uh, how does your protocol change, if at all, for someone who has chronic fatigue? Because I know that's a tricky, tricky disease based on my sister's um, battles. The, the, the only thing it really changes is doing the body work to do the muscle compression to make sure you're getting the um, nutrients penetrating into tissues because when you have chronic muscle spasm, it, it causes anoxia, you know, poor oxygenation, nutrient delivery of tissues. And people who got fatigue and, um, you know, um, chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, for example, and having body aches and spasm. So you're eating the nutrients, you're drinking nutrients, but they're not getting to the tissues that are causing the problem. So you have to combine it with body work to allow the, to soften the tissues up. And a certain type of body work where you we press and release every eighth of an inch of that muscle from origin to insertion and use somebody with some tech skills to be able to palpate the muscles that have become hardened and more integrated that are interfering with circulatory, with circulatory distribution of nutrients. So it's a lot of times we're just mixing the body work and the right type of stretching with the good nutrients, which then adds sleep and getting people back to sleeping well again. You know, um, so all those things are to maximize healing usually are help, help in a lot. There's a guy, I, I think it's Netflix. It might be Amazon Prime. He's a, um, a really advanced therapist and he, he has a, a gym, I believe in California. Anyway, he does extremely deep work like you're talking about. And um, he's been getting incredible results, like people who are coming in who are paralyzed and they don't have, you know, the, the signals not getting there, like you said, from the brain down to the foot. And he's opening up the channels with this deep body work and he's getting these people to be able to walk again. And, it, and you're watching it all unfold in real time on television. Right. It's, right. It's, and that, that's, that's when we, people come here too. We, if you, some people, they just need the combination of the body work with the good nutrition, one without the other. You know what I mean? This guy's doing it. But you put good nutrition in that, it's even great. You put the good nutrition, some people have tight spasm muscles and nutrition. And, you know, I've actually seen some cases where the nutrition levels that we measured actually after the body work, the nutrition of the body goes down. We're seeing the nutri measured nutrition of the bloodstream is going down as the tissues, when they're opened up and getting more blood flow, are uptaking the nutrients into the new muscle tissue and then we'll be replenishing it back with a healthy food again. You know what I'm saying? And then it goes back up again. But we're seeing that we can, there's such a starving of nutrients in the tissues and the body's not delivering the nutrients to the tissues due to chronic spasm and poor, you know, poor nutrition, electrolyte deficiencies, high salt diet that have all caused the body to go to be chronically contracted. Man, you know, it's, it's interesting, Dr. Furman, the more I study this and, and am blessed to talk with people like you, the more I'm getting kind of like the 32,000 foot view and I'm starting to look down and see, wow, you know, we're all, it's all connected. Like the human body's all connected, just like the planet's all connected. And oh, absolutely. And you know, one last thing, when you're like fighting or doing something with quick movements and taking it, you know, we're talking here, you need muscles that are soft and and at their ability to move quick and agile. If you're contracted in, in spasm, that muscle is not being effectively utilized for your sport either. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, we're talking about performance here. We're talking about longevity. We're talking about excellence, Dr. Joel Furman. Uh, before I get to a couple more real quick questions, did I hear you correctly earlier saying that you do like oil or you don't like oil? Like no, I want things. people to eat, they have to eat the whole flax seed to get the anti-cancer benefits, not the flax oil, isn't it? have one fiftieth the amount of beneficial nutrients. The, new, the money's in the whole food. In other words, compare the benefits of walnuts to walnut oil. It's the walnuts that have the anti-cancer effect, not the walnut oil. And if you put too much oil in your diet, all those extra calories, you're not gonna have enough caloric space in the dietary landscape to put in enough nuts and seeds that have all the beneficial effect. Is it sesame seeds better? Is it sesame oil better? Is it, you know, is it um, pistachio nuts the better? Is pistachio oil better? Is, you know, any food you look at, 
the whole food beats out the oil from that food as far as its longevity promoting and health promoting effects. And you get the protein in the whole food too. And we're looking for to get more plant protein. When you take the nuts, when they take the pistachio oil, the hemp seed oil, instead of the hemp seed, you've lost all the protein. And, and that the protein is what makes you live longer. The plant protein makes you live longer. Why would you do that? Make the dressing with the whole flax seed and the pistachio nut and the sesame seed, not the oil from it. It's, it's just insanity. People are just so, <laughs> they're so stupid, you know. <laughs> oh, we got to get you in the cage. I can tell you're getting uh, angry about this. We're going to have to get you in the cage. <laughs> plus, doesn't... It's not it's no fat. It's just the right fat, you know. Yeah, right. And plus, uh, the chewing of the seeds and the chewing of the nuts, doesn't that create enzymes that are extremely important for the cofactors? That's right. The enzymes that are, pre it doesn't create the enzymes, the enzymes are already in the food, but when the enzyme is broken down in the food in your mouth and mixed with saliva, it produces more nitric oxide, which makes you better muscle tissue reactivity and better and better relaxation of blood vessels. And also, you, so what I'm saying right now is the enzyme in the food with the bacteria in the mouth and the saliva mixes to form chemical reactions in the mouth to produce a higher level of beneficial compounds in the mouth. For example, there's an enzyme in onions called alienase that when you cut the onion up, you can see the chemical reaction occurring causes sulfenic acid, which makes your eyes tear. When you chew that, every break open, every cell of onion or scallion in your mouth, you're forming, the, you're forming more organosulfide and methylated sulfur compounds that have beneficial health effects in your mouth as you're chewing. The same thing with green vegetables. You can eat a salad and lose 90% of those benefits if you don't chew it very well. Or if you cooked it, cooked it thoroughly first, you would have blown out the myrosinase because the heat would have destroyed the myrosinase in the green vegetables. That's why eating a big salad every day that you chew very well or putting it into a smoothie, a green smoothie or a blended salad where we're giving our athletes these green drinks to consume these greens that are freshly blended we are chopped open every while it was still raw is one of the things we do to maximize human performance. Mark McVeigh uh, texted in and said, uh, how's it going doctor? Do you remember me from immersion excursion? What is immersion excursion? <laughs> <laughs> he says, how you doing? <laughs> Mark, thanks. Thanks for um, coming on board here. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> you. Let's hope, you, hope everything's doing great with you. Yeah. Doing he's a great fantastic. guy big producer. He's out here in Tampa as well. He's done a lot of big TV shows. Speaking of big TV shows, Dan Lux from California, who uh, I don't know what his title was. I think he was executive producer of America's Funniest Home Videos with uh, Vin DeBona. Uh, they're all Boston guys. We're all Boston guys. Uh, Dan Lux uh, texted in and he wants to know what is more effective in minimizing COVID infection, a healthy diet or masks? A hundred percent, it's a healthy diet. Masks decrease your risk, but you're not going to reduce your viral exposure by the viral load, but you still have a chance of being exposed. It can't remove the risk totally. And I'm saying right now, making this radical statement, I'm saying if you eat a real nutritarian diet, then, then even if you're exposed to a significant viral load, it's not going to hurt you to get exposed to the COVID-19. It becomes relatively harmless in a person with a, super immune, with a, with a strong immune system. So what I'm saying is the COVID crisis is a failure of, our, of nutritional ignorance across our population and how to support immune system, which is made evident by the high rates of cancer. If we, everybody wasn't getting cancer, they wouldn't get COVID. You know? So I'm saying that the real key, so this never would have started if we were eating a nutritarian diet, but, you know, which is a diet designed to maximize human lifespan and human immune system. Just remarkable. 
We are talking with Dr. Joel Furman, the author of Eat to Live, End of Dieting, Super Immunity, Disease Proof Your Child, and Fast Food Genocide. You've seen him on PBS. You've seen him on Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, one of my favorite movies from, God, that must, that's already probably 10 years old now at this point, which is kind of scary in and of itself, isn't it? How is Joe Cross doing? Do you stay in touch with him? I do. He's doing pretty good. Did he, is he staying with the G-bombs or what's going on? Well, you know, I I call it a Nutritarian diet. I don't really consider, I don't think Joe is a Nutritarian, but I think he's trying to do his best. You know, I, I, so he's just juicing and doing an extreme diet for a short period of time. Doesn't guarantee great health for the rest of your life. I would have done things a little differently of trying to get the person really loving this food and learning how to make the great tasting recipes and learning how to eat this way. And then if they want to put some juice fast and fasting into speed up the results or you don't even, you know, but really that's not the focus. The focus is learning to do something that you can stick with and stay on consistently that you love for the rest of your life and not keep jump, jumping on these more aggressive or extreme or fads. You know what I mean? So Joe's doing great, but I, I think he could eat even healthier long term. Wow. Fantastic. How did things change for you after that movie? Because that movie blew up, didn't it? It was like the number one movie for a long time. Really? I don't think it really had much effect on me. I think Joe was the star of that movie. I think it made, it certainly changed his, um, you know, I think what really helped me was my shows on public television, on PBS oh, TV. Yeah. Because I've yeah. had like, you know, almost eight years of steady hits on PBS. I've raised, I think, over $70 million for public television. Wow. and gave me tremendous exposure across the country. And that money that PBS raised was from selling my packages of books and materials to people. That means that they sold $70 million worth of books and videos and materials to the American population. That's a huge amount of material out there. You know, so, I, so like you're saying, I'm, the fact that I must have, if people read that stuff and just stored in their cabinets, they would have gotten a lot of um, motivational information to have them live a better life and be healthy. Yeah, I mean, I don't even have the vocabulary to explain how important this information is. You're talking about not just stopping diabetes in its track, not just stopping heart disease in its track, cancer in its track, but reversing it. And if there was not efficacy and truth in what you're saying, you would have been stopped a long time ago, a long time ago from those types of claims, because there are powerful influences, not just here in in the States, but internationally, who want to keep the medical, you know, uh, industrial complex going. And doctors are very well-meaning. You know, most doctors are very well-meaning. But a lot of times their hands are tied. Um, So it's so good to see someone with your, I mean, what comes through loud and clear with you, Dr. Furman, is your passion. Um, Clearly, you want to save lives. I mean, you're, you're like a pit bull. And, you know, I am so appreciative for that and the thousands of people's lives you've saved and changed profoundly. I know, I know you have t- hundreds of testimonials. The testimonials on your website are shocking because- 500, people- more than 500 there. <laughs> and these are people who are gonna die. You get, yeah. you get them when they're banged up. Like you right. get them after they've already been through the, the, the grill, the, the, the mist, what's that, the grist of the mill a few times, right? Right, and thank you for making that point. It's not just about living longer. It's about, it's therapeutically effective to reverse disease for people who are sick. So when you have these illnesses like heart disease or diabetes, or when you have, you know, asthma or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis or multiple sclerosis, 
that you can get well again through nutritional excellence. That people can, that what I'm saying, without taking drugs that cause cancer, you can restore yourself back to normal again. So it's not, it's prevention, but it's also therapeutically effective. And, I, and every statement I make on television, like PBS, has to be supported by submitting scientific evidence, submitting studies that show this is, that has some um, validity to it, like you were saying. And there's tremendous amount of evidence today backing this type of, this, that nutritional excellence has such a powerful effect at enabling people to have better health and less human tragedy and a better quality of life and a happier, and, a, and a, not just healthier life, but a happier life. Because what you eat affects your brain as well. Real quick, I promise this will be the last question. I'm just so happy to have you. For my wife and for my mom, does your protocol change in any way? And if so, how for osteopenia, osteoporosis, and um, you know, muscle wasting? Because women, that's like one of the, boy, I tell you, that's the big one takeaway too, right? Build right. that muscle. Anti-aging is building muscle, man. What are you and, building, and you have to do sideways motions where you're stopping and moving back to center from side to side because people fall to the side and break a hip. So yes, mm. it's, it's usually, um, you can't use the word osteopenia or osteoporosis without combining it with sarcopenia because obviously weak muscles lead to weak bones and stronger muscles lead to stronger bones. So it's all about maintaining strength, the high muscle to fat ratio, doing the exercise as you get older and making sure your diet is adequate and everything the human needs, including vitamin D, including food derived calcium, you know, and food, you know, magnesium, calcium, K2, vitamin, enough vitamin D. We want to make sure that the nutrients, that the nutritional um, is idealized and then the exercise is appropriate and some, and usually we're, we're not going to have major problems. And get excited about it. Like, you know, this is really exciting news. For me, this is like, wow, you mean I get bigger muscles, uh, denser bones, anti-age, clean out my arteries. I have no right. doubt my arteries got some occlusion. Be, you know, I've been, as a kid, the McDonald's and the Burger King, I can actually reset things. It's like rebooting a computer and clean up all the software and clean up all the firmware by doing something. Like I have control over that. It's exciting. And if you're just getting started in, it's hard to get that momentum. It's piece by piece by piece and reach out to guys like Dr. Furman. The infrastructure he has on his website is there to save you. Hey man, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go? No, thanks for the great interview. And of course, I think I'm really excited about reaching a different number of people, different group of people who are more athletically inclined. I love, I think that's great. Yeah, I would, uh, next time I come out to California, we do shows in San Diego once in a while. I'll definitely reach out to you and get you to one of our fights and introduce you to some promoters and some athletes and you know, I, this yeah. message is so important for everybody. Oh, love to so much. Okay, we great. have a lot of inflammation in our sport, obviously, cage fighting. So anything we could do to cool that burn. All right. Thank take you. Care, take care, all of you. We'll all be wishing you the best of health. For our full schedule of fights on the NBC Sports Network, CW and ABC affiliates, visit unitedfightalliance.com. United Fight Alliance. United we fight.